The first step in getting closer to God is to realize that you need to or that you want to. And the second step in getting closer to God is to realize that it's possible. I want to encourage you to check out my book, Getting Closer to God, Anthologies from the Forefront Trilogy, Book 2. I think this will really be helpful to you in your pursuit of the Lord and help you understand what I learned over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out. Anthologies from the Forefront, Book 2, Getting Closer to God. It's on Amazon. Have you heard about the time that childhood trauma started someone on the path to a one-way ticket to Haiti? That's one of the things you'll hear about from Jason Harris. This is Episode 64 of From the Forefront Podcast. Welcome to From the Forefront Podcast by FX Missions. We believe that God calls us beyond where we are, equips us for the unforeseen, and gives us the victory, even if we don't ever see the victory ourselves. Welcome back, and we are glad you're here. Today's guest is sharing a story of incredible providence that includes trauma, depression, an unlikely introduction to Jesus, restoration, and a one-way ticket to Haiti. You'll have to listen if you want to know more. Also, a little bit of news. My book is out. Check it out on Amazon, Kindle, or hard copy, Anthologies from the Forefront. Also, we have a new network page for all of FX Missions podcasting. You can get there fxmissionspodcasts.com. That's fxmissionspodcastsplural.com. You can find it all in one place. Now, get ready to hear from Jason. Hi, Scott McClelland here for FX Missions Podcasting. Thanks for joining us. We're excited to be with you today. And it's kind of an interesting, maybe a little slightly different, but I've got a friend of mine, actually, I don't know how long we've been friends, but I want to introduce you to Jason Harris. Hi, Jason. Hey. Hey, man. How you doing? Obviously, the podcast is just audio, but if I could only have a beard, like the one you're showing me right now. (laughs) We have video, so just to ease the conversation on the podcast recording, but I've got beard envy, Jason. And probably this isn't your biggest one yet, I'm guessing. No. <laughs> Man, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for taking a few minutes. We're going to have a conversation kind of about the process you've been in, in your life and calling. Obviously, we've been friends. I don't know. It's been a few years. I'm just trying to think when we may have met. Was it 05, you think? I think 06. 06, Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, 06. Yeah. You know, we had an opportunity to meet each other with some different work stuff that we were doing at the time, I think. And that was, of course, in in a ministry context. You were there and involved from a operations point of view that happened to bring us into contact with each other. If I'm remembering it right, is that, am I doing good so far? Yes. <laughs> so I was doing some phone stuff and other stuff. Obviously, we got to meet during that time. And when we met in 2005, 
you know, we're going to kind of jump into the middle of the story here. But how long at that point had you completed the recovery process from an addictional situation there? It, it, had it been a while? Uh, yeah, about five years. Okay, five years. So, you know, I can rewind here a little bit. Obviously, you're Jason Harris. You're from the Carolinas. Am I doing good so far? Yes. You were raised in that area, and we're going to talk about a handful of things here. One, we're going to talk about your history and you know, something about where you came from. We'll talk about the process you went through in recovery, and then a calling you had to missions, how you got engaged in missions, and then what you've been doing the last several years. And I think there's some really good news that we have to thank God for that we'll end up with. That's where we'll end up today. So tell us a little bit about your childhood. How were you raised? What was your situation? And obviously, we've already mentioned something about the recovery process you went through. How did you find yourself needing something like that? You know, first, my uh, childhood was trauma-filled. You know, from as early as I can remember from three years old, my parents got divorced and Soon after that, I went through a lot of abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, you know, just a lot of abuse pretty much through my whole childhood. You know, I dealt a lot with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. In fact, when I was 11 years old, I went to a psychiatric hospital because I attempted suicide and was admitted there for a few months. So I guess that's where it all pretty much began. My word. We're talking about some early childhood trauma there. Some of your story would be common to mine in terms of a very early divorce from your parents, which kind of opened the door, I guess, to a lot of the stuff you experienced. Ended you up in a psychiatric hospital at the age of 11. Mm -hmm. Wow. Was that helpful to you? No. That didn't help? No. From as as long as I can remember, I you know I constantly had relationships with my guidance counselors, doctors. You know, put me on Ritalin, and pretty much my whole childhood was counseling. A lot of uh, you know diagnosis of this, that, and the other. And you know, I started taking Ritalin and several other meds. And when I went into the psychiatric hospital, basically, you know, they put me on quite a few prescriptions: Seldane, Prozac, Ritalin, Zoloft. And I just became a zombie. When I got out, I had dropped out of school in uh, ninth grade, ninth or tenth grade, the first time, and then I went back and then dropped out the second time in tenth grade. And once I did that, I didn't have any insurance, so I didn't have any medications anymore. So I, I resorted to to the street drugs. So after you kind of parted ways with your schooling there is when you really started self-medicating. Is that what they call it? I don't know. I've heard that term. You started going, looking for a different source for relief from the anxieties and things that you were facing. Right. Man. And we don't have to unpack in a lot of detail what you went through there, but obviously you started descending into a place of uh, further, I would guess, depression and further darkness and more serious addictions. Was that happening from the time you were about in 10th grade? Is that when it got started? The seriousness of it. The other stuff was just being curious and, you know, being a young teen. And I guess I started around 10 or 11, 
you know, finding what group I fit in. And it really didn't get serious, like when it was associating with the depression. And when I started using drugs, I spiraled out of control fast. There was no long-term addiction for me. I just wanted everything to end quickly. I think if I remember right, you got to a point, I'm not sure how you got to a point where you felt like you needed to enter some kind of recovery program. Is there something you want to mention about that? How did you get to the bottom where you felt like you needed help? I made several attempts to commit suicide. I tried to overdose. The last little bit of my stint with addiction was everything revolved around suicide. You know, just me trying to commit suicide. That was the theme there towards the end. And I took a bunch of pills one night and I came home and my stepdad always kept his gun you know, on the top of the entertainment center, mostly for my mom to be able to have quick access because he was a truck driver at night and wanted her to be able to have quick access to something if she needed it. And so I knew where he kept it. And so I came home one night. I was very, very depressed. I was high on a bunch of pills, probably 15 Percocets and, you know, some other things and came home. My mom and stepdad were outside working in the yard. I just walked straight past them, didn't even say hey or anything, just went straight into the house, went straight to the entertainment center, grabbed the gun, went outside and was basically screaming at them, telling them I wanted them to watch this. Oh, my word. And I knew my stepdad always kept the safety off, you know, so that my mom wouldn't have to fool with it in an emergency. So, and it was a revolver type gun. He came over towards me. I held it up at my head and pulled the trigger. It didn't go off. Pulled it again. It didn't go off. Pulled it the third time, and it wouldn't go off. And that time, my stepdad rushed in, grabbed it from me. I started crying. He shot it into the ground just to make sure that it wasn't going to go off or you know anything like yeah. that. It went off into the ground, and he just he gave it to my mom. She walked away, and he walked over towards me, and you know just wrapped his arms around me and hugged me. And uh, wow. It was at that moment I really started to feel like, okay, this is horrible. I don't do anything right. I can't even commit suicide. <laughs> so, oh, my I, word. I was just, I got to do something, you know. I can't keep doing this. And so that's when I truly felt like something was going on inside of me. It was like a war of two worlds. And I continued to dabble into addiction for a while, and things were mm. getting yeah, hyping up. They were getting ramping up, and they were getting real serious. And so... July 4th, 2000, I got a hold of a 20-ounce bottle of GHB. Uh, they used to call it a date rape drug. And uh, I drank about three quarters of it. I was at a bar one night, and my friends noticed that I was starting to go unconscious. And so they put me in the back of their truck, took me back to my apartment, put me in the grass just because there was no life in me. I guess it was about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, a lady was going to walk her dog and smoke a cigarette. And she found me laying face down on a sprinkler. And when the ambulance found me, they revived me. And then I went into a coma for six days. And then it was after that, that I was like, I've got to do something. You know, if I'm not going to die, I've got to live. <laughs> so I got to make the best of it somehow. I can't keep doing this. So I went into a program, but they were going to send me into a nursing home just because I didn't have any memory. I, I couldn't move. Like my muscles were locked up. Wow. Yeah. It's like I had to start life all over. Like I just came out of the womb. My mom found a program for me 
that was willing to see if I could be rehabilitated. It was a Christian program called the Malachi House in Statesville. So I went there, and in the church, they had a speech therapist, a physical therapist, nutritionist, and a doctor that was willing to help me, you know, see if I could be rehabilitated. And so I basically spent 11 months in there just focused on my rehabilitation. That's all the focus was through that time. And then after that, I came out, got linked up with, you know, a friend, and they introduced me to a ministry in Charlotte. And through that, I I met somebody that offered to take me to Haiti. And that's kind of where my journey started from that. Right. Did you meet the Lord while you were in that recovery? Yeah. So part of what you got through recovery there was not only the rehabilitation, but you got introduced to the Lord as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would guess that was a pretty radical thing and probably a lot of radical things that were happening at the same time. Yeah, it was tough because in the beginning, I wasn't really motivated to come to know the Lord. It was just like, oh, I'll give this a try. I've given everything else a try. You know, I'll yeah. try this. And and I really was, I mean, it was a Christian ministry. You know, I was in a house full of 40 guys. So it was a Christian discipleship program. So it was kind of a requirement to ask the Lord into your heart. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> in order to stay there. So, you know, I just kept hearing enough and just being surrounded by it. And I, it was just mostly just, I was like, okay, I give up, you know, let's just try this out. And so you know, I just kept saying to myself, I'll try this out for a year. Let's just focus on, you know, me getting back physically and mentally and all that and, you know, see where this takes me. And there were little things that were happening while I was in the program that just really wowed me. I was like, whoa, if there's a God, I just asked him for that. And he replied pretty quickly, you know, like... (laughs) You know, I was the only white guy in there and my hair was getting shabby. I never even had any shoelaces going into the program and my hair was getting shabby and I couldn't get a haircut. You know, everybody pretty much like had given up on me. So while I was in there, I was just by myself. And I remember one day they sent us out for fundraising and my hair was really shabby. And I was like, well, I can't get a haircut. I was like, hey, Lord, why don't you hook me up with a hat? (laughs) The very next day, somebody donated a whole trash bag full of hats. Mm. And so I knew that something was up. <laughs> so I was like, I, I literally just asked for that yesterday. So when they brought in the hats, you know, I was the first one to dig in them. And, you know, I told the program director, I was like, those are mine. I asked for them. So I started opening the bag. And lo and behold, my three favorite teams, you know, because I was big into sports, There was an Atlanta Braves hat, a Charlotte Hornets hat, and I forget what the, I think the other hat had just something random on it that I really liked. I was like, I knew that this was an answer to me asking the Lord about it yesterday. So that kind of started it all for me. It was just like these little, you know, in NA and AA, they call them God shots. But I had me a few God shots in there that really sparked my interest in having a relationship with the Lord. So man, everything that everybody said I should ask for, I started asking for, and I was getting. A few Sundays after that, I was just like, I want the Holy Spirit. I want to start speaking in that weird stuff. And so 
I was at church and they started praying for me and I kind of braced myself. So I I was like, I don't want to fall if it's fake, but you know, if it's real, I want it. It was Mm -hmm. just like, I started getting hungry, this unusual hungriness to really go after God. Somebody had donated a Bible and it was a really nice Thompson chain reference Bible that I thought a lot about and uh, still have it to this day. And wow. But it's just, you know, a lot of little stuff here and there just was, you know, I think I can do this. Man, it sounds like the Lord was giving you evidence. Right. You know, you're getting hungry for him. It's like he's responding to that and there's an engagement. Something's going on there. It's a living relationship is developing. Right. That is super cool, man. Super cool. And you think about how precious and pure those times are. I can think about that in my own case. You know, I remember how, you know, near the Lord was and how responsive it was almost real time. Like you say, (laughs) it was happening real time. Very, very cool. So what got Haiti on your radar? I've always kind of had a heart for people. I've always enjoyed people. I like being around people with all the turmoil and the trauma and stuff growing up. I never really had for lack of better terms, I never really had my love language cultivated, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So it's always been natural for me to be around people. I love affection. I love just being around people and not like in the spotlight or anything, but just being around people. I like people around me. So I guess it didn't really start, you know, because I lacked that growing up. It's kind of started at this point. And so while I was going through the program, one of my mentors, I was crying at the table one day and I I told him, I said, man, I I really feel horrible. All the stuff that I've done to people and all the stuff I've done to my parents and I stole from my community. I I basically wrecked my community. I wrecked my family. I stole life and energy from my mom. And I just was going through a lot of guilt. And my mentor at the time, he said, son, when you walk 40 miles into the woods, you got to walk 40 miles back. Mm. At the time, it really didn't I didn't really understand it. But now looking back, you know, it wasn't a quick deliverance. It wasn't an overnight deliverance. You know, it's like the Lord's just wanting me to walk it out and enjoy the process of walking it back out and processing a lot of things. And so by doing that, I just really started having a heart for the community. I had stole from the community for so long that I really had a heart to give back. And so he immediately started giving me an awareness of the journey. It was like in my head, I was writing it all down on the whiteboard. I've got to start taking note of the journey because one day I'll be able to help other people walk out their journey. When I came out, I was introduced to somebody that they actually had a group of people going to Haiti. She was telling me about the trip they were going on. And she said, you know, I saw you and I wanted to ask you if you would be interested in going to Haiti. And I was like, well, I don't even know where that is. <laughs> and she said, it's beside the Dominican Republic. It's an island down below the United States. And she said, we had a group of 10. Somebody had to bail out. And so they said, just keep the money in there for if you find a replacement. So I didn't even have a passport. I didn't have anything. Of course, that was all before 9-11 and everything. So I guess they weren't as strict. And obviously, they knew I wasn't from Haiti. So, you know, I went down to Haiti, got through the airport. They checked everybody's passport going through except mine. I was at the end of the line. And I guess they just assumed that if I was with them, everybody had their passport, everything was fine. They just let me go on through. 
And so you got into Haiti, no passport. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I was so nervous because I was like, man, if they're going to have to go all over here and I'm going to be stuck here and have to get back. So, but anyway, I made it through there, made it out. They never checked anything coming back into the States. So I ended up getting over there. And one of the things that really I learned from that whole trip, it was a two week trip. The main thing that I learned is at the end, this little boy was looking at me and he said, this was going on in my head. He wasn't actually saying anything to me, but he was just looking at me. And I was just like, if he was saying something to me right now, what would it be? And I I just felt like he would be saying, y'all came down here and got us all saved. Now what? Mm. And immediately I was just like, you know, I don't want to be a two-week missionary. I want to go down and, and really be a part of their lives yeah. daily learn who they are and all that and learn everything about them. And I really enjoyed the trip. I came back. Somehow got back in the U.S., got out of Haiti and back in the U.S. without a passport. Yeah. Yeah. This borders on the miraculous. Right. Well, the second time I went down there, I got everything right. (laughs) I mean, I went down there on a week's notice. I didn't have any documentation or any. I didn't even have a driver's license. Oh, my. You got a free pass on that in and out, but well, how long before you went back? When I came back from that, I went through a lot of turmoil. When you came back from Haiti? From Haiti, yeah. It was like a lot of undressing was happening, and I was exposed to the real me, and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I went through a lot of just finding out who I really was, was really calling to deep, and okay, The Lord's been blessing me all this time since I've known him so far, and now I've got to really trust in him. Am I going to do it if I don't ever receive another blessing? Am I still going to trust in him? Because I've had enough to sustain me for a while and to really know he's real. So now this is like I started dabbling in the seriousness of my walk with the Lord now. It was getting serious. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. You know, I was on this nice little ride for a while and— Now it's time to really develop a strong relationship. And that's when I said, okay, now I'm really going through it. There's a lot of stuff going on in me. I'm I'm facing a lot of stuff that's been kind of hid for a little while. And so now it's time for me to confront and face it. That's when I went into Teen Challenge because I felt like this monster was coming up in me. So I went into Teen Challenge and I was there for a year. Because, you know, the first time I was in a program, it was mostly about me rehabilitating myself. Right. Physically, mentally, all that. You know, I was, I was basically trying to learn how to live life again and then start my relationship with the Lord. But this, when I went into Teen Challenge, it was more like, how do I practically live? How do I practically walk out what God's working in? So that's when I went into Teen Challenge. And when I left, I mean, when I graduated. Mm-hmm. I guess the whole theme of me while I was in Teen Challenge was just developing a quiet relationship, learning how to pray, learning how to grab hold of the word and let it make me. For just those who may not be familiar with Teen Challenge, what can you say about that? When I was there, Teen Challenge was a 12-month Christian discipleship program. Okay. There's different phases that you go through there, but they do it. They have a whole curriculum that you go through. It's written by Teen Challenge. If if you don't know who started Teen Challenge, it was David Wilkerson. It was a very powerful program. I loved it. It's a very strict, militant-like program. You know, I used to get in trouble for leaving my shoes in the bathroom. 
<laughs> different things. You know, you have a lot of discipline. You have class A, class B, class C offenses. But really, it's all about to sensitize you to what you've desensitized yourself with. Mm. Even 20 years later, I'm aware of what's on commercials. <laughs> you know, just Because of what you learned there. Yeah. It's a year long of creating habits for yourself that are long lasting, really just changing your mindset. And 30 days into it, I found myself every day just saying, oh man, I got to be here for a year. After that, something clicked in me and I said, you know what? I don't have to be here for a year. I get to be here for a year. Mm. And so it just changed my whole mindset on it. And I started using it for what it was. And that was just for a place for me to sit, develop a relationship with the Lord, learn obedience, practical obedience to authority, and just really have a quiet place for me to really, you know, come face to face with Jason and let Jason grow and mature in in the way Jason should have from the beginning. Wow. Well, it sounds like it was a powerful time. And I'm thankful you got that breakthrough there about 30 days in. We've got about 10 minutes left on this episode. We're probably going to be doing another recording to get all the way to where we're headed. But I don't want to rush this because I think it's meaningful. But for this recording, hopefully we can get to the point to where you are finishing up in Haiti. So after your Teen Challenge program, I'm talking about for the next time that you went, because I think there's some unusual characteristics about the way you went to Haiti. And I believe it was for the second time after you finished Teen Challenge. Do I remember it right? Correct. Yeah. So you finished up, you graduated, you got all those A, B, and C offenses wiped off your record. (laughs) (laughs) And you graduated the program. What happened next? My time in Haiti, it just kept burning in me. From the previous time, it was alive inside of you. Correct. There was just something about it. I wanted to get back. That's all I could think about since I got back to the U.S. is going back. I was living in West Virginia after Teen Challenge. And, you know, mind you, when I got out of Teen Challenge, I stayed in West Virginia around Teen Challenge because I was trying to depend on some accountability. I wanted to be around some accountability. I didn't want to go back to my hometown yet. And that's kind of where my career started. Okay, go ahead and give us a little insight on that. Yeah. So when I got out of Teen Challenge, I had nobody. I worked for somebody that was generous enough to provide me a a little camper to live in, no electricity, no water water at first. We eventually got all that worked out. We gutted the thing and, and made it livable for me. I lived there for several months. And then where my career now has started is because there was a huge gap when leaving Teen Challenge. And I was just like, I have nobody. And so when I tried to call and ask for advice or ask for this, ask for that. You know, respectfully, they said, we can't really help you now. We've already done what we were supposed to do. And I didn't get mad at them because they truly did do what they were designed to do. You know, I was more mad about the process. I was just like, there's got to be something because too many people just leave. And now I need guidance on how to transition well to maintain my success. Right. I ended up getting my tax returns from the place that I was working at in West Virginia. And I said, I've got enough for a one-way trip ticket to Haiti. I want to find that family that I stayed with when we went to visit them Yeah, on my first trip. So I went ahead and bought the ticket. 
had the date set and everything. Everybody thought I was crazy. And I just, I was like, I've got to do this. And everybody was trying to talk me out of it. And I was like, you know, I don't care. God will take care of me. You know, I was just young on fire for the Lord. And at the same time, I wanted to get back with Haiti. I could care less what anybody was saying at that point. You know, I didn't care if you were an elder. I didn't care if you were a prophet sent by God. I was not going to listen to you. I was getting to Haiti at all costs. As soon as the money became available and here it was. Right. What's standing in the way? Let's get going. In true addict form. <laughs> Nothing will keep me from the object of my desire. No. I was getting to the dealer no matter what. <laughs> so anyway, I, I bought the ticket. And about a week after I bought the ticket, I was like, wait a minute, what did I just do? And so I kind of started second guessing myself. And I started talking to the Lord about it. I was like, Lord, am I doing the wrong thing? I have no plans. I have nowhere to go. I don't even know how to get back in touch with the guy. You couldn't just get on Facebook and say, hey, host family, I'm coming back. Right. Haiti, at the time, they didn't have internet at their house. They had these these internet cafes that they went to in the city. And so I was like, Lord, what do I do? I'm going to go. And even if you don't want me to go, I'm going to go because you're just going to have to take care of me. And I had this dream one night that I was at school. I was a little kid and I was going to school. And when I was at school, I told my teacher, I said, I got to use the bathroom. So I went. And then while I was using the bathroom, I said, I want to go see my dad. So I left school, walked all the way across Charlotte to downtown. And in my dream, this is where my dad worked. I got up to the front desk. I said, I need to see my dad. And the lady knew me, of course. And she said, did you walk here from school? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, well, let me get your dad. You stay right here and don't move. So I started crying because I just knew I was going to get in trouble and got up to my dad's office and I sat on his lap and he said, son, I love you. He said, how can I discipline you showing me this kind of love that you would risk all and come here? And it was at that time I was like, you know what? I'm going to Haiti. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is it. Like, how can I get in trouble? I think the Lord is just going to protect me and all that. And so this is important thing to say is at the time I felt like I was Paul. I was mm -hmm. not going to ever get married. I was on my own. I don't think this way now, but at the time right. I was a little perturbed because everybody in the group was just crying the whole time. You know, oh, they were hot and they didn't feel like walking up the hill and all they wanted to do was stay at home and or stay at the place and, and just, you know, stay there with the fan on them and this and that. So at the time I was like, I don't ever want to go on a mission trip with a team again. I wanted to be free and walk around the city and do whatever I want to do. I had emailed the guy that I stayed with, and I hadn't heard from him for several days. I had another dream later that I was coming out of the airport, coming off the plane and into the airport. I went to pick up my bags, came out, got to the street, and a guy was holding up my name, Jason Harris. And so I was like, okay, now this is all starting to come together. Well, I had emailed the guy that I wanted to stay with, and about a week later, he emailed me back, and he said, Jason, I hear you're coming to Haiti. And I said, yeah. I said, I was, I've been trying to get a hold of you. And he said, where are you going to stay? And I said, well, with you. He said, okay, sounds good. He said, when you come out of the airport, I'll be standing next to my truck and I'll have a piece of cardboard held up, you know, with your name on it. Come on. So I was like, okay, this is too good. Okay. Let, we're we're going to have to pause right here. It's a great lead up to our next session. Just in a little bit of a recap, we talked about your, your childhood your process through recovery 
And then your development of relationship with the Lord. We talked about your mission trip to Haiti, the first one, and how you're ready to move heaven and earth to get back to Haiti. So you buy a one-way ticket to Haiti. You're trying to do your diligence before the Lord. And he keeps giving you little signs here and there about he's with you. Don't worry about it. You're showing affection to him. It's not something he's going to discipline with you. And then the sign with the cardboard. And then the guy comes around and says the exact same thing after some delay. Does that sound like a good recap? Mm -hmm. So in our next session, we're going to hope to get into how it turned out for Jason with a one-way ticket to Haiti. I'm never coming back. That's That's what I mean. You were ready. You were ready to go and not come back. I think that was what I gathered from the one-way ticket. And we're going to talk about how that process went, what happened that you got back. We want to lead up through that journey going forward to where you are now and what the things the Lord's put in place for you in these next steps. Does that sound like a good idea? Yes, sir. Man, I'm loving this story. It's parts of this you never told me. I mean, I knew some of this, but we're getting into some great detail. And I want to take a minute and thank God for the the affection that he showed toward you and for the process he led you through. I mean, that is something I, I know you're thankful for, and I'm thankful to know it. It's very powerful where we are in the story right now. And also, you can see the signatures of a young man. You know, it's like, that's it. I'm not sitting in the room with a fan on me, even though it's 95 <laughs> degrees and 100% humidity out there in Haiti. I'm going to get out there and get among the people. Man, I'm loving that. Let's plan to record again soon. I want to make sure and say anything else that you want to make sure and get out, but the story will continue on our next session with Jason Harris. Jason, anything else you want to say before we hit pause and plan to resume on our next recording? I don't want to seem like a big Rambo or anything, but the uh, <laughs> not being able to commit suicide on my own kind of contributed to the lack of fear. <laughs> <laughs> After a number of attempts, unsuccessful. You thought you were right. bulletproof. <laughs> you just thought you were bulletproof. That helped me have a little bit more faith. Yes. Yeah, no worries. Well, appreciate you being here with us, man. If folks want to reach out to you or find out more about you, and obviously we'll have complete details as to how people could become more familiar with what your next phase in your contribution is, we'll include that on the second installment. But is there an email or a Facebook or anything you'd want to let people know about if they wanted to make contact with you? Sure. You know, I'm on Facebook and my email is H-A-S-O-N. J-A-R-R-I-S at gmail.com. I've always admired that creative. The first initial of your last name goes on the front of your first name and vice versa. And you you got a good email there. Very creative. Hard to forget. I have remembered it all these years. Awesome, bro. Well, thank you very much for being with us. Let's do get on the calendar to record again within the next week or so. And we'll get the rest of this story out so thankful for what the Lord's done in your life and also what he's continuing to do. Thanks for being with us and many blessings to you and your family here in 2022. Let's get something on the books for about a week from now. Okay. All right. Sounds Sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Yes, sir. I am Scott McClellan, and this is FX Missions Podcasting. 
and we appreciate you being here. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. Thanks again for being here. I really appreciate Jason's transparency, and I'm continually in awe of how God works to accomplish His will. Next time we have a special guest who is also an incredible musician with a life filled with God stories. You won't want to miss that. Check out our network page at fxmissionspodcasts.com to get everything in one place. And we look forward to connecting again next month. Thanks for being with us. If God spoke to you today, we'd love to hear about it. Click through to the episode notes on your podcast app. Choose the link for your favorite social media platform and share it with us there. And if you've not done this already, follow the show in your favorite podcast app at fromtheforefront.com slash follow. Click the link in the episode notes, choose your favorite podcast app, and follow us there to get every episode for free.